Thank you for having me today. Wonderful to be here. I know a few of you. Um, so, a little bit about me. So, my early evangelical faith, which stressed the importance of saving souls and social action, led me to train as a nurse midwife. Then in 1985, a long time ago, I joined YWAM, who I think you're familiar with. Joined their medical team, and we were working in a Cambodian refugee camp in Thailand. In 1988, I moved to Cambodia, worked with World Vision in a mother and child health clinic, and then worked in community development. Then there's lots and lots happened then, but I won't go into it. Then in 2007, with my family, we moved to live in Crafers. While, I was, while we were there, just at the beginning, we realized the whole area was experiencing the millennial drought. Everything was dying. I was really sad to see everything around looking so unhappy. Despite the fact my evangelical faith did not advocate creation, whoops, what's happened? Did not cre advocate creation care. I felt a responsibility to care for it. On reflection, I maintain that some of this desire came from my father, who was a farmer, but also a passionate conservationist in the UK, unusual for that time. And some of it came from a God-given but dormant desire to be a steward of his creation. Our home was adjacent to some bushland land that was full of weeds and rubbish. I started clearing it away. It was hard work. If you know, those invasive grasses have a habit of rapidly multiplying. One day, while removing a particularly large clump, I discovered hiding underneath was a small, prickly guinea flower. Oops. Sorry, I forgot the slides. <laughs> there we are, it's Cambodia. There we are, there's the bush. At that moment, some thoughts came to my mind. These invasive grasses represent the destructive practices that have occurred in Australia since the settlers arrived. As a result, God's creation has been oppressed, invaded, and destroyed. It is struggling to survive, but God hasn't given up on it because he's, he loves it and will continue to sustain it, just like this prickly guinea flower. I felt at that moment God was asking me to speak out, speak out and act against this injustice but also that he had entrusted me with a responsibility to pass on a vital message to evangelical Christians. This, I realized, would not be an easy task as I considered my inadequate understanding of the biblical reasons for creation care. I needed to examine the pillars on which my evangelical faith was based, as well as think through the biblical, moral, and ethical reasons as to why Christians are to care for creation. 
I was keen to find others who shared my profound, my new profound conviction, but was disappointed. I had difficulty finding anyone in the local churches, nor did there appear, appear to be any organizations in Australia. Finally, after some searching, I came across a Russia. A Russia is a Christian international organization that has conservation projects all around the world. I'm now the director in South Australia. But I also, I also discovered evangelicals involved in what they call the Lausanne movement, who were actively promoting creation care. They're called states. Many of the world's poorest people, ecosystems and species of flora and fauna are being devastated by violence against the environment in multiple ways, which global climate change, deforestation, biodiversity loss, water stress, and pollution are all but a part. We can no longer afford complacency and endless de debate. Love for God, our neighbor, and the wider creation, as well as our passion for justice, compel us to urgent and, to urgent and prophetic ecological responsibility. Hope you, can you hear me all right? It's all right? Good. I'm not used to wearing one of these. Um, yeah, so I've learned lots and lots, and I'm not going to bore you all evening in telling you everything I've learned, but I'm going to give you a snapshot of some of the things I've been learning. So here's your wonderful vision. I don't need to read out. I'm sure you're all familiar with it. So we're going to look at how might this vision, your vision, the church's vision, lead to a deeper awareness of creation care. So here we have a beautiful passage, Colossians 1. Here we read, Christ is the cornerstone, the foundation of all things. This is an ancient Christian hymn that demonstrates in the first bit that Christ is the pre-existent agent, the regent of creation. The second bit esteems him as the reconciler of creation. Christ's reconciling work on the cross affects every part of the created cosmos. The third part speaks to the church, that's us, demonstrating that reconciliation is occurring for all things on earth. For Jesus to transform all things, we must recognize that the first calling God gave all human beings, us, which we've read earlier, were made in his image to rule, to work, and to care, watch over, protect, and to stand up for all God has created. Tragically, sin has caused all things to be cursed, and we've neglected that first calling. Instead, we've do dominated and disregarded his creation. Here we, we often just see God and humanity, 
But in fact, every bit is part of God's creation and every bit has been broken by our sin. A British climate scientist who's the chair of the International Panel for Climate Change and an evangelical Christian said, looking after the earth is a God-given responsibility and not to look after it is a sin. So why, why have Christians not included the doctrine of creation with the doctrine of salvation? It's complex. I'll give a little bit of the complexity now. So tragically, the biblical doctrine of creation has been neglected and misinterpreted. Some, however, not many, recognize the goodness of the material world, but their influence was limited. Saint Irenaeus, a second century church father, was under considerable pressure from the Gnostic teachers of that time, that's the Platonic teachers, who argued that the Creator God was quite distinct from and inferior to the Redeemer God. They stated that the Old Testament should be shunned by Christians and instead concentrate only on the New Testament. Iranius insisted that there was one God who was both Creator and Redeemer who came to redeem the whole creation. I think we see a little bit of the Gnostic belief still in our church today. Plato, his Gnosticism. It's com complex if you want to understand about Plato. <laughs> Probably need to do a PhD. <laughs> it's huge. But anyway, the main thing is that he promoted this dualistic belief. The mind's more important than the body. Heaven's more important than the earth. Spiritual is more important than the secular. And it influenced everything. Philosophy, religion, culture, education, and science. He also endorsed the great chain of being. The earth was no longer important. Nature was placed at the bottom. So you can see who's at the top. God, angels, heaven, humans. But who else was at the bottom? Indigenous people any, and Africans. Anyone with black skin, dark skin, weren't even considered humans. So at the time, the 18th century, white humans assumed a su supreme power and had dominion over all God had made it. So you can see a picture of the humans over everything. This verse, Genesis 1, 26 to 28, endorses humankind's call to rule. But it is incorrect to read it as if it's allowing us to take over and exploit nature. To rule means to care and protect as God does. And the Bible came to be read and interpreted with what they call an anthropocentric lens. 
In other words, it's all about humans. The natural world, God's creation, is merely a platform on which the story of salvation took place. Instead, we should be reading it from a theocentric. You can see the diagram there is that, yes, we are still very important. We're made in God's image, but we're not above everything. The Western Church also adopted aspects of Plato's teaching. Cathedral ceilings were depicted as heaven with angelical beings floating up there. And hymns talk of Christians going home up in heaven. The Industrial Revolution it certainly improved the quality of life for millions of people, but for some it inserted a wedge between science and the Christian faith. The natural world was seen merely as an economic commodity rather than being valued for its own safe, sake, which sadly continues today. Dieter Bonhoeffer suggested that the legacy of the Enlightenment and the modern struggle to be freed from the authority of the church, faith and from nature, is because rationalism, science and technology have trained us not to see the earth as a divine creation. So our consumerism, our development, means we are now living in an earth that can't really cope with what we're doing to it. We're now living as if we have three planets and more. The world's richest countries consume 16 times more than the poorest countries. We just had the horrendous Black Friday. So the Earth provides enough to satisfy everyone's needs but not everyone's greed, says Gandhi. Urban sprawl is encroaching onto the natural environment. I live in Aldinga. I'm a hooded plover volunteer. We have to protect them. Dogs, cars, people, so the more we encroach onto the environment, the more it needs to be protected. God's chosen people, Israel, disobeyed God's covenant relationship. The Old Testament prophets speak of this and how it's caused the land and much more to become desolate. Today, the land suffers. Not just in Australia, but all around the world. So if you want to increase our understanding of the biblical reasons for creation care, what must we do? We need a new lens. I did, a very different one. I had to read the scriptures in a new way. So I could understand God's view, his theocentric view 
of what he said about his creation. There's many, many, there's just a couple, a few over there on the table, but many, many very good books around for you to look at. And I'd highly recommend you do. So the church must move away from a platonic way of interpreting the Bible. So they realize, as N.T. Wright says, the great drama will end not with saved souls being snatched up into heaven, away from this wicked earth, and the mortal bodies which have dragged, dragged them down into sin, but with a new Jerusalem coming down from heaven to earth, so that the dwelling of God is with humans. And we will see all relationships restored. But we don't wait until Jesus returns. We can start restoring them as we do in the now, as we bring God's kingdom to this earth. The divine act of reconciliation started at Christ's resurrection and continues as we build the kingdom of, uh, kingdom of God here on earth. But we also have the hope that a total restoration, a renewed heaven and earth, will occur when Jesus comes down from heaven to this earth. So we read in Revelation about the new heaven and the new earth. And we often think that's brand new. In English, we have one word for new, but in the Greek New Testament, it has two words, neos, brand new, and kainos, renewed, restored. When John and other, other authors of the Bible speak of a new heaven and a new earth, and for John in Revelation, he uses kainos, meaning renewed. Just as we, when we become Christians, we become a kainos, a renewed creation. So yes, there will be a complete remaking, a renewed heaven and earth, something magnificent beyond our imagination. So just briefly to end with, We'll go through a few things we can do in practice. So here we are, made in God's image, to be his representatives, his stewards, to take care of all things. And of course, that includes our poor neighbors in other countries, our neighbors here, all people and all creatures. So to care for our neighbors means to speak out and respond as Christ does to the injustice of the world. We all need a healthy planet, but who suffers most? The poor. We need to value, I think it's already been said in the service, value all God's given us. The air, the sun, the rain, the water, the food. We couldn't live without it. 
caring must include putting, thinking where we put our money. What banks are we putting our money into? Where's our superannuation going? There's plenty of information, well, I can certainly send you information on suitable bank, banks, well, you can look it up, ethical banks. We need to look at our church buildings. How can we be more environmentally friendly in our buildings? Church, community gardens, solar panels, recycling. I won't go into it now, but there is an eco-church scheme in the UK where they have now over 4,000 churches involved across the denominations. We've been singing, Declan's introduced you to, to some of the doxiology songs. We need to revise some of our songs as we revise our theology. We need to think about our lifestyles. We need to learn from our indigenous brothers and sisters about a connection to the land. Miriam there in the purple shirt talks about a deep respect, listening to self, others and the land. Sadly, the church has been unwilling to speak prophetically against human exploitation of nature, but things are changing. These are actually two Baptist groups in the UK who very recently become very involved in climate change and creation care. So if Jesus is the cornerstone of all things in heaven and on earth, then he must be glorified in all that he has made to transform all things and to give hope to all things now and not yet. That's your vision. We're now going to read um, the Apostles, or an adapted version of the Apostles' Creed. Um, is it going to come up? Yeah. So I'll just say the, the Apostles' Creed, which you've probably not heard of unless you go, have been to um, Anglican churches. I think it's the next slide. No. There we are. Okay, the, the word, the apostles, means it's an ancient creed. It comes from the word credo, I believe. So it's an ancient creed that's recognized as a concise, formal, and universally accepted and authorized statement of the main points of the Christian faith. It's used regularly in Anglican, Catholic, and other denominations. So I'll read it. And then we'll all together say this we believe. We believe in God the creator, who reminds us in drawing of every new day that new life is possible. We believe in the wonder and grandeur of a universe where the whole of life is called to live in harmony of care. This we believe. We believe in Jesus Christ, who prayed in mountains of peace and brought us the word 
in mustard seeds of faith and fig trees of blessing, whose footsteps touch the earth in love and who invites us to follow. This we believe. We believe in the Holy Spirit, whose wisdom often lies embedded in ancient people. They trod lightly across the deserts and lived gently among the plants and creatures. They reached respectfully for the mystery, which is God with us, the one who never leaves us or forsakes us. This we believe. We believe in the everlasting hope, the great calling of the people of God, the church, for the transforming of all things which is possible in God. This we believe. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.